Oh, what a good, what a good morning. Let's hear for our team. They've been so great and all the trees and everything. It's just, our team's really just been working so hard. And we've been getting ready. We've been getting ready for this season. Um, we're, we're, we're really excited to dive into the Advent season. And as a teaching team, when we were talking about this, we were, uh, we were talking about exactly what David was just saying, that Advent is this funny season where we are remembering what Jesus did, right? We are going back and we're remembering uh, that season before the anticipation, before the gift of Jesus was given to mankind. Uh, we're, we're casting our imagination back to that moment. Um, but we're also reminding ourselves that he's coming back, right? And this is what I wrote down for, for this week. It's like Christmas for us, it really is our Super Bowl. Uh, for, for churches, our, our, our Christmas Eve services are our biggest services. Um, three years ago, we had a Christmas Eve service that had a thousand people in one service. And I'll never forget, David and I were sitting there and David leaned over. He's like, I think we should give our seats up. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I turned around and it was just packed with people on all sides, you know. And there's just something about Christmas. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Uh, we were talking a little bit with our team, like, what's the difference between Christmas and Easter? Like, Easter seems like it should be the bigger deal. It is a big deal. We do make a big deal out of it. But Christmas, for whatever reason, really is a time where a lot of people that don't go to church normally come. And it's beautiful. And it's great. And we're going to be real strategic about it this year. Um, but Christmas is special. It really is. That moment where you realize God came down to earth, where that is a, like, like, like not a normal thing when you look at other religions, right? Every other religion is how big God is, how unapproachable God is, you know, like, like hopefully you get some forgiveness from this big mystical God. And yes, we serve a really big God, but we serve a God that also expressed himself through the life of Jesus and came down, Emmanuel, God with us. That is crazy and it's awesome, and it's good news. It's the thing that separates us from every other religion on earth, and it's a wonderful thing. And this is when, what we remember. We remember that for thousands of years in our history, from the fall of mankind to Genesis chapter, from the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter three, to the prophets before the birth of Christ, the entirety of creation was groaning with anticipation for the coming Savior. Creation itself was waiting for, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied, the arrival of the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us. This is the miracle of the first coming of Christ, that God would come to his people, live a perfect life on earth, suffer in deep and profound ways for you and I, and in the end, defy death itself in the resurrection. This is what we're remembering every Christmas. It's beautiful. But we're to remember what he did, and we're also to remind each other that he's not done yet, right? He's not done yet. We are reminded that just as creation waited thousands of years for the first coming of the Messiah, we are now awaiting the arrival of the second coming of Christ, the moment when the heavens deafeningly burst with light in front of all of creation. The moment when the meek and humble Messiah is revealed as the soberingly powerful and perfectly just king that he truly is. 
This is the hope for our Advent this year. This is the hope for us as we're going through Christmas. So each service, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be remembering what it was like when before Jesus came, that anticipation. And we're also going to be engaging in the reminding of each other that Jesus is coming back because we need to do that, right? We're stuck in the in-between. And there's many days where we forget that Jesus is coming back. I forget all the time. I was installing Christmas lights for my girls this week uh, because they, if you remember last week, they were like, can we put them up right after Halloween? I said, no, I cannot emotionally handle putting them up immediately. After, like, give me a little bit of time. The day after Thanksgiving, I will put them up. And I did. I put them up on Thanksgiving. And you're putting up lights. You're doing all your thing. Like, we're, we're getting, we've got some trees trimmed because it's brush and bulky for us. Um, and all of that, in all of that, it's like, it's so hard to remember, right? Like, we're in this sort of like fervor of our life. Things are getting busy. I'm sure you've got Christmas parties and all sorts of things to go to. But Christmas time around church is that moment where we remember and we remind each other. And what we're reminded of today, and we're diving into the hope of Jesus. We're, we're diving into hope. And I was, uh, I was going over some of our verses, and originally I had written a sermon out of Romans chapter 8. And then I got through Thanksgiving, and I was like, you know what, I think I need to change to 1 Peter chapter 1. So I sent, my, sent a text to my team. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm completely changing gears. Uh, because the more I studied hope, the less I felt I knew about it, right? Like this thing is like, you go, oh, it's hope. Isn't that lovely? And it's very Christmassy. And no, it, hope is a wild and crazy thing. It really is. And let's read, let's read. Uh, we're, we're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just a little bit of background. Uh, Peter is writing to a church that's very discouraged, that's starting to go through persecution. Not even official persecution quite yet. They're just going through societal persecution, which I think we could kind of uh, empathize with a little bit now. Um, they're going through a little societal persecution, and they're really discouraged. And this is what Peter writes to them in Peter chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power, um, are, uh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while it's necessary that you've been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your souls, the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. I love that. I mean, the living hope, this living and active hope. And Peter is writing to this church. It's discouraged, and he's going, look, you've got to set your eyes higher. You've got to be reminded. You've got to be encouraged by the hope that we have. But that begs the question, what is hope? 
What is hope? Forgive this illustration. Uh, it's a bit banal and overused, um, but here we go. Now, I, I want you guys to be honest with me. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody to think like, judge. this is a judgment-free zone right now, okay? How many in this room look at this glass and you say, that is half full? Raise your hands, raise your hands. Okay, we got some optimists in the room, okay. How many of you, being honest, no judgment, no judgment. How many of you see this and it's half empty? There we go. We got the pessimists in the room. <laughs> now, the optimists, I think, they look at this glass of water and they go, that is half full because I could see it's half full. It's got water. I could see it. With my eyes, it's half full. And who knows? Maybe Ryan has more water in here. He could pour even more. We could fill this thing all the way to the top, right? The optimist is going, things, I could see them. They look okay and they, they have the potential to get better. Maybe you're looking at your 401k right now and you're going, not so great right now, not so great. But you're going, you know what? I've been through enough market, you know, markets and I know it goes through the cycle. I've seen it go down before and it's gonna come up again. So I'm just gonna let it ride and I'm not gonna worry. That's the optimist, they're not worried. Um, you are seeing that and you're right. You're looking at circumstances and you're going, based on what I see, based on what have I, I've experienced, it makes sense to be positive, right? Now, the pessimists in the room, <clears throat> they look at this and they go, this is half full. And who, or half empty. And who knows, Ryan may not have any more water left in this pitcher. I have no idea. On top of that, he put the glass right on the edge of the table and he might knock it over at any point. How many of you were bothered that I put the glass right here? I know, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm torturing you. Um, my, my kids always do that. I don't know why. My kids are like, they get a drink of water and they're like, yeah, that's probably fine. You're like going. Um, but the pessimists in the room look at their 401k and they go, it's not looking great. And they're going, hey, we're living in some pretty unprecedented times. There's some things going on that I've never seen us go through before. And I feel like maybe this time around, it's not gonna bounce back the same way it did before. When you look at the situation and you look at this, the thing is, is both of you are right to some extent, right? Because we're just guessing. I don't know. There's reasons to be optimistic from what we see. There's reasons to be pessimistic from what we see. Now, hope is not optimism. Hope is not optimism. I think a lot of times they're like, you know, just have some hope. That just is our way of saying be optimistic. But that's not true. Hope is different. Hope is not built on what we see and what we've experienced. Hope sometimes makes absolutely no sense. Hope is this. I take this picture and I put it back there and I go, trust me, I'm going to fill this thing up. And based on your trust level with me, that will give you more hope. Now, you just saw the picture, so you know it's back there. But how do we do that when it comes to God? Well, that is a representation for us of going, okay, if we trust that God says that there is hope around the corner, then we're going to believe that there's hope around the corner. In the Old Testament, in the, in the original Hebrew, uh, there's a word for hope that I think is beautiful. It's this word kavah. Now, it comes from the root word of this word kav, which is a strand or a cord. So this image of hope, it's not optimism. It is full of tension, right? I love that imagery in the Hebrew. There is tension in hope because sometimes hope is a bit painful 
Because what we're experiencing right now is giving us no reason to hope, and yet God is asking us to trust him and to have a hope that is a lot more resilient than optimism. Hope cannot be built on what you see, because then your hope will rise and fall on your circumstance, and that is a very uh, poor foundation for hope in our life. And this tension in the hope, it's all throughout the Bible, right? Isaiah, when he's saying, for unto us a child is born, like he will be with us. He's talking about all the characteristics of this Messiah that is yet to come. And yet Isaiah never saw it with his natural eyes. He had this prophetic insight that there will one day be a Messiah that sets everything right, that will come down from heaven. But he had no idea when or where or what it was going to look like. And the circumstances of Isaiah's day... Hey, stop listening to me, Siri. Um, <laughs> I had like, my, like half my sermon on there. Um, but, but Isaiah had that tension, right? Everything, all the circumstances of his life did not lend itself to him having hope. And yet he had this prophetic insight that gave him stable hope. Mary, when she's pregnant with Jesus, she's, she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. What a crazy thing. And she gets this visitation from angels that tell her there is going to be this very hopeful, beautiful thing from this child that is in you. So she knows it. She believes it. And yet I'm sure the circumstances of her life did not lend itself to that. How many of her friends and family believed that she had a visitation? Some of them are like, Mary, I don't know. You know, it seems a little convenient. Uh, you know, it's like there's a lot, of, a lot of tension there, right? Like she believes it. She knows it's going to happen. And yet she's stuck in this in-between where she's waiting. She's waiting for something, a promise to be fulfilled. And we're always stuck in that tension. I think the, I was thinking a lot about, you know, if, if, if hope is not optimism, then what's, the opposite, then what's the opposite of hope? And I thought, well, maybe it's hopelessness. And really the word that I thought is despair. Despair is the opposite of hope. Despair tells you that no matter what you see, it's going to get worse. No matter what's going on in your life, you are going to get further and further into darkness. And there's absolutely no hope. Absolutely no hope. And we're always in that tension, right, of that choosing. Are we going to choose to hope or are we going to choose to give in to despair? That is up to us. That decision is up to you, whether you're going to live in hope or you're going to live in despair. This last summer, I read um, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And um, <clears throat> if you haven't read it, I'd really rec- recommend it. Um, maybe it's not Christmas time reading because it's about the Holocaust, but um, it's not light reading necessarily. But it is so beautiful. Like I read that book and I felt like I was like, I have so much more perspective. And Corey uh, Ten Boom grew up uh, during World War II. Um, her family, they were all Dutch Christians. And um, when the occupation of Germany came to their town, they started to see the persecution of the Jewish people start to rise. And they, reacting to that, started to find a hiding place for the Jewish people in their community. They just said, this is what Jesus would do. We're going to do that. And they put themselves at risk to do it. Eventually, they get found out. And Corey and her whole family uh, goes to a concentration camp. And she talks a lot about 
um, a lot about what happened in those. And it's really hard. It's really sobering to, to read. Um, but she had a sister named Betsy. And Betsy was always so full of hope all the time. Betsy would walk around and she would be like praying for the guards. She'd be praying for everybody there. She'd be doing Bible studies. And Corey would be like, how are you doing this, Betsy? Like, I don't understand. Everybody here is despairing of life and you are alive and you're looking for opportunity for the kingdom and it doesn't make any sense. One day, uh, Corey and Betsy find themselves moved into a different room. And they're cramped with a bunch of people, and they're trying to sleep. And, uh, and Corey said she feels a, like a bite on her ankle. And she reaches down, and she smacks her ankle. And she realizes that the whole place is infested with fleas. And she goes, oh, you know, like, I, as if this is not hard enough. Now we have fleas while we sleep. And her sister lays next to her, and, and she says, she's like, Lord, help me to be grateful for the fleas. And Corey's like, this is too far, Betsy. Like, she's going, this is ridiculous. Like, how can you be grateful for fleas? How on earth could that possibly be? And, uh, and Betsy just responded. She said, well, the Bible says to be thankful in all situations. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm saying, you know, I'm being thankful. Fast forward, a, you know, a few days, and they start holding some Bible studies in that room. And they start to realize, like, we could have kind of longer Bible studies, and guards aren't coming in. And one day, uh, Betsy comes to, to Corey, and she's like, I figured it out. She's like, you figured what out? She goes, I figured out why we should be thankful for the fleas. She said, the guards are not coming in because they know that we have fleas in our room, and they don't want to get fleas, so they stay away from our room. She goes, what a blessing. Now we can have Bible study as long as we want with as many people as we want. And Corey was like, just like, I mean, when you read it in the book, it's just so beautiful. She just, her eyes are opened and she realized, wow, there is something that is far deeper that's going on in Betsy's life than just optimism. Betsy's not optimistic. She's not going, one day we're going to get out of here. That's not where she's anchoring her hope. She's anchoring her hope into Jesus. And yes, she's thankful, but that foundation, the foundation of her thankfulness is the hope that she has in Jesus, and that is the thing that nobody can steal from her. No SS guard could steal that from her. No, no circumstance could steal that from her. She had hope until the day she died because she knew she served a different king. This is the hope that you and I have access to all the time. We do. Now, we have to choose it. We have to choose it. But hope is not optimism. Hope is something far different. So what is our hope? I'm going to read 1 Peter again. As I do that, I want you to maybe even just close your eyes as I read this. And I'm going to walk us through. This is like a little snapshot of the hope that we have in Jesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, because he's had great mercy on us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, not a dead hope, not an inactive hope, but a living Holy Spirit-fueled hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you and I. It is something that nobody can steal from you. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while it is necessary that you're grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, setting your hope and your expectation and your joy on the return of Jesus when it's all going to make sense. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the hope that you and I have, that Jesus came and he reached down into the darkness. He conveyed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He saved you and I, the depths of who you are has been pulled out of the miry clay and brought into the light of the kingdom of God. What a miracle. What a miracle. Then he says this in verse 13. He says, therefore, in light of all of the things that he was saying about the, the gospel, about all that God has done, he says this, therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love that. And being sober-minded, so you're not just blindly optimistic. You're sober-minded. You know we live in serious times. You understand all of that. And yet, you set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully setting your hope on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what will be revealed in the second coming when he comes back and it makes all, all the sense in the world and we go, I see it now. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because how could they not? They're going to see the blinding light and the splitting sky and they're going to go, life was not what I thought it was. We cannot anchor our hope in the news. We cannot anchor our hope in TikTok. We can't anchor our hope in our logic. We can't anchor our hope in just our family. We need something deeper. And as I was looking at this, all of this, I was going, okay, well then what is the definition of hope? Like I said, I feel like the more I studied it, the less I knew about it. I'm like, okay, what is the definition of, de definition of hope then? And I wrote this down. For us, followers of Jesus, for us, hope has a name and his name is Jesus. He is the embodiment of the hope that we have. He's proven it before and he's not done yet. He is going to be coming back. I want you to take a minute, and actually we're gonna take a few minutes to just have a little bit of reflection. Um, our whole service, we've been really trying to create a lot of space, space for connection with each other, space to hear from the Holy Spirit. We're gonna have, after service, we'll have our prayer team up here to pray for you if you need it. But right now, just between you and the Lord, I want you to ask a question. I want you to ask, what am I anchoring my hope into? Now, I want you to be honest. Again, judgment-free zone here. Just be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. Say, this is what I think I'm anchoring my hope into. Is your savings account? Is your friend's? Is it improving circumstance? What is it? Then I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you the hope 
that is in him. And maybe write some notes down. Maybe pull your phone out, have your notes section. Be prepared to hear from the Lord. Let's take a few minutes and then we're gonna finish with a little bit of worship.